Welcome to Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by Purdue Blockchain Lab and CastBox. Our vision is to connect everyone in the blockchain industry and explore the most up-to-date news. We hope that this podcast will be educational, easy to understand, and inspirational for all of our listeners. I'm Coach Colbertson, and with me is Kimberly Colbertson. We're here today talking to Todd White. Todd, why don't you take a few minutes here and introduce yourself? Good afternoon, and thank you for uh, having me, and it's a pleasure to be with uh, each of you today. My name is Todd White. I'm managing partner with Rulon and White Governance Strategies here in Washington, D.C., and we are a government affairs firm, and we specialize uh, specifically in ICOs and um, startup companies that um, are, are, as of late, wanting to navigate through the regulatory thicket as regulation becomes more encompassing uh, within this ethos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that's not getting hard at all, right? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd, how did you get started in this field? Retrospectively, we uh, were a startup government affairs firm beginning in 2011, and we were another. Uh, we we lobbied within, or you know, we represented many firms in the financial services uh, area, such as Goldman Sachs other uh, credit union associations, and we were also focused in on internet policy, and that's the other half of our business model. And uh, with the issues um, during the, starting with the Obama administration with regard to net neutrality, it kind of morphed into um, more policy-centered issues pertaining to policy uh, relating to the internet and what was introduced was cryptocurrencies and we kind of merged the two concepts together and uh, we began getting quite a few um, relationships and calls with regard to ICOs and things of that nature and we started bringing on folks that had a background in within that requisite skill set and what ended up happening is we started getting clients in this space, and we've been very active uh, in this area for the last two and a half years. So I know that you're working closely with the SEC. So can you tell us what's next based on the most recent remarks by by the folks over at the SEC? That's a great question. Let's be plain vanilla about it. No one specifically knows. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, good answer. <laughs> that's, a good answer. Uh, that's that's my personal disclaimer. <laughs> but um, <laughs> through our analytics, uh, working going into you know we we have many meetings uh, within the SEC offices here in Washington. Uh, we have uh, had many many conversations. I've worked with some of the upper level uh, vertical integration within the SEC. I've worked with the attorneys. Uh, with the SECs and other related um, agencies as well. Um, So I can kind of give you, I think, a logical waypoint by which what we believe is going to happen is we we think that there's going to be some consensus as to how to regulate the ICO space and tokens. And there's going to be a coming together from the Congress, the Congressional uh, branch of our government. I think uh, the SEC is going to have 
some kind of awakening or epiphany, however you want to describe it. And I think the Treasury Department is also going to weigh in heavily. Because as we both or all know, I think, or if uh, you're not aware, your listeners are not aware of this, that the U.S. Congress deems that tokens and ICOs are securities. The SEC deems this space as them being uh, more or less a commodity. The IRS, on the other end, deems it property. The Treasury Department deems it currency. So I think that there's going to be a consensus amongst these uh, agencies and and this legislative space within the um, you know our bicameral Congress and uh, determining uh, how to move forward. Our team is thinking that we're going to uh, have this this consensus rolling into the fall, if not sooner. So how does the SEC? see the market, and why are they acting in this way? Well, the reason why they're responding in the manner in which they are is because we have in place within, you know, starting with the SEC that started in uh, right around um, the early 1900s, the Securities Act of 1933, which was put in place originally to protect investors from those who act illicitly and do not follow guidelines and regulations, and they're out to take the investor's money. Let's just put it in simple oh, No one ever does that. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever. So, so what the SEC's overarching aim, as uh, we all know by now, is to regulate. And in doing so, there are rules and regulations that they abide by. They're they're kind of like the, the FBI of the securities industry by, you know, doing investigations and, um, you know, um, issuing out subpoenas and sanctions and things of that nature. And what has to happen is that the SEC has to show that they're going to protect the investors first and foremost. So that is what the SEC's intention is, and that's why you hear so much varying interdictions as to what comes first and then what comes second. So with all of the blockchain stuff that's happening, we have different kinds of tokens as a lot of our listeners are aware of, but when it comes to the, as the SEC, as they see things, what is a true utility token project? How are they seeing utility tokens? That's a tough question because they really haven't defined utility tokens because as we, in, in their eyes, utility tokens are kind of like, by analogy, airline points, but they have a value to them and right. they have to categorize. It's a brand new category that they have to put to incorporate um, these type of utility tokens. And, and moreover, what has to happen is that those who are going to be issuing them have to be very careful in how they're doing them. Because if you're issuing the utility token, we have to make 100% certain that, you know, all of the um, guidelines that you would follow from the standpoint of a issuing a security are in terms of registration are in place so that 
the SEC is not knocking on a prospective company who's issuing um, utility tokens door and issuing a subpoena. We don't want that. And so that's what uh, we're, we're trying to uh, get around right now. And it was kind of the wild, wild west before the Security Exchange Commission and its respective agencies caught up to what was taking place. But now they're coming in and they're, they're up to speed and they're citing those who aren't act good actors in registering. So, Todd, what recommendations do you have for blockchain community from the proposal standpoint? That's a broad question. I'll try to narrow it down. I think that what the blockchain community must do is to educate their organizations and um, within their, their respective white papers really have a measurable, definable plan of action to work with the SEC in making sure that they are registering their respective company correctly. And uh, it is highly recommended that um, one um, seeks out uh, advisors, um, attorneys, in order to make this a opportunity to do things right the first time, I think is the best course of action. And there's one thing that I'll also point out is depending on what the company is planning to specifically do, going back to the white paper, you have to be very, um, no, no, there's many, many pathways in which um, blockchain companies will have to register. There's no same pathway for a company to register because some companies are going to register under Regulation A, and I can go into those details if you want. I don't want to go too far off the road. And then there's Regulation D, or called Rule 502 um, pathways in terms of registering with the SEC, which is kind of for smaller companies so that they can meet specifications with the SEC to sell securities without having to register fully because it's cost intensive and it's, yeah. and it's a logarithmic um, um, amount of documents that have to be signed and executed properly. Yeah. There's never any documentation associated with government, right? <laughs> oh, never. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So the, the thing that you bring out about hiring an attorney and making sure all of the, 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 the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and, uh, and all of that, I, I think, is brilliant advice. Can you talk to us? Uh, I know because I don't know some of our listeners are thinking, okay, well, hiring the right attorney, you know, and doing things right, just like you said from the start. Can you give us some kind of some broad-reaching, uh, big-picture advice uh, for our listeners who are really looking to maybe maybe an ICO launch or you know get into this space? What what Absolutely. would be good guidelines to look for lawyers in that kind of space? Absolutely, because uh, I'll, I'll uh, be very frank with your listeners today in that um, what I'm seeing out here uh, within the legal um, diaspora from the standpoint of those companies that are representing these startup companies that wish to do ICOs and get through the regulatory thicket is they don't have a requisite skill set from the standpoint of what company these companies are doing 
And um, I don't want to I don't want to call out law firms, but there are a couple of law firms that have clients that they have retained. And let's there are there's one firm that has about 20 clients that were issued subpoenas by the SEC, including the law firm. And so what I'm stating with that example is that one has to make 100% sure that they understand the nature or the etiology of what that company is seeking to accomplish and understanding what type of ICO they wish to bring to market. And, and if they have um, accredited investors and they've done all the due diligence that is required, um, before registering as a security. And again, there's many pathways in all, um, that, that a co- prospective company can take, and they're not all the same, and not all attorneys are, um, I guess, skilled to be able to do this. And yeah. what we have found that is occurring is that some of the firms, they're, they're doing more work to protect the client, of course, but they're doing just as much work to protect themselves from the SEC. And a right. lot of the prospective startup firms are becoming very disenfranchised, you know, after, you know, entered, you know, um, you know, shelling out anywhere between two and $800,000. It's going up and up and they have nothing to, to show for it. So it's, it's very, very advisable that these firms are, are well, I should say the startup firms, I want to delineate whom I'm speaking about, um, make sure that the attorney has a, a demonstration of clients that they have worked with and showing uh, how they navigated their clients, retained clients through the regulatory thicket. And never assume that all attorneys are skilled in this space. Um, you've mentioned that becoming a security is is pretty cost prohibitive for many of these startups. The legal fees are sky high, eight hundred thousand dollars, maybe. So, yes, are there other strategies that they can use? Yes, there are. There, there indeed uh, are other opportunities that blockchain companies can entertain or or consider utilizing. There are companies that are more investment companies that do specific startups um, within the, I, I, I want to make sure my, my terms are accurate here. I don't want to mislead anyone, but they, they're more in the in, um, investment banking space. And okay. we find that it's a little bit more cost feasible to do it this way and because what they're doing is they have their own attorneys that work with the SEC. And not only that, they bring in people or firms like ours, the, the government affairs firm. And then it's kind of a bundling type of fee structure. And we find that is just as effective as far. We found that it's more effective in this manner than some of the law firms. Now, if there was an attorney on the phone, he would probably uh, take a juxtaposing position on that point I just made. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question. But those, yeah. the, that's the other 
that's the other uh, direction that many ICO startups are taking or blockchain companies are, are beginning to take. So as these companies start to come online, uh, let's start, let's kind of move the, the, the conversation towards investing um, for these companies. Is, it, is an accredited investor the only safe source for raising money or could it be anybody who's willing to buy tokens during this pre-token sale that typically happens? Well, there's uh, two levels, uh, two platforms that you're, you're speaking on. Now, certainly there are, there is a, there's the first stage and it depends on what the prospective company is seeking to raise. Okay. Um, that's what makes the difference between, you know, where you get the, the crowdfunding or the second stage where you or I could perhaps invest into an ICO and you see these opportunities. But I think with the, the weight of the SEC, I think that one should be an accredited investor. And, and usually being an accredited investor is kind of out of the, the financial throes of our average member of our community. And typically, one has to have or be able to demonstrate a million dollars within their personal savings or their state and be able to demonstrate that they're generating at least $200,000 a year. That's the definition of an accredited investor who's had some form of experience in investing as well is typically the guideline of an accredited investor. Cool. That's interesting. We are actually running out of time. And so as we end this podcast, um, we would love to know if you have resources to share for blockchain enthusiasts and also how do we get in contact with you if people want to connect with you? Oh, by all means, uh, feel free. I'm very receptive to uh, speaking with uh, prospective companies that are uh, considering um, working with the SEC or perhaps through our resources of firms, uh, we're, we're very amenable to um, having that conversation. Your listeners could feel free to reach out to us uh, within our Washington, D.C. offices uh, at area code 202 505-5404. And uh, we have no problem. And you can ask for Todd White. I may not be in the office, but just feel free to leave a message. And my assistant will uh, make sure that I get the message and uh, we'll make time to uh, address your questions and see if we can't be of some assistance uh, with regard to uh, the, whatever stage that you're in um, from the standpoint of uh, getting into um, a Regulation A or Regulation D type of ICO or whatever the question may be. Awesome. Todd, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And to our listeners, thanks for following up with us today. So we're Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by Purdue Blockchain Lab and CastBox. Please subscribe to our show on castbox.fm slash blockchain lab. Leave a comment there if you have any questions. This has been Coach and Kimberly Culbertson. Thanks for hanging out. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be with you today.